the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. We don't need no education. We don't need no thoughts control. Welcome to Education Nation, where we tackle the biggest issues in American education. School is now in session. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hackstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. Well, good evening, and thank you for joining us here on Education Nation. I'm Headmaster and host Rebecca Hagstrom, and it's a privilege to join you every Saturday evening here on the AM 1280 The Patriot. And, of course, I'm joined in studio once again with my wonderful co-host and producer of the show, uh, Mark Durkin. And good evening to you again, Rebecca. Nice to see you. Yes, good to see you as well, Mark. I always enjoy being able to do this show with you, and I appreciate all the work that you do on the outlines ahead of time and what have you. You're just an excellent co-host and producer. Well, thank so, you thank so you. much, and it's it's always a pre- pleasure to be with you in studio as good. well, too. Well, we are going to be talking about a an important topic because it really does affect education in a way that is extremely direct. Yes. and. Um, but we're going to just kind of give a little introduction for our listeners right now. Um, so really, it involves the intensified assault on the conservative thought and debate, which has really only increased the partisan divide that we see in America today. Absolutely. And the hot talking points that surround the big issues like abortion, immigration, Supreme Court appointments, and that's just to name a few. So while candidates and government officials pander to constituents and emotions appear to be boiling over, a far more sinister smear campaign is taking place, and that is an indoctrination that seeks to revise our nation's history. And we can all agree that our children's textbooks should be objective and not biased. Unfortunately, facts are increasingly obscured as emotionally charged language and labels are the byproducts of the history being interpreted through a subjective lens. And today, Rebecca, perhaps the biggest offender in presenting these revisions is the changing content of K-12 through textbooks in history, civics, and social studies, and the soon-to-be-released By the People, a history of the United States that was written by James W. Frazier, is the second edition of an existing textbook from global education giant Pearson Publishing. Mm -hmm. Now, the textbook is written for advanced placement history courses and several Minnesota school districts are considering its adoption. As we will show in a few minutes, a simple read of just a handful of excerpts make it clear that there is a real anti-conservative bias within the pages of this textbook. Mm -hmm. Now, what's disturbing about that is James Frazier currently teaches a college course that uses by the people paired with the College Board's new AP U.S. History Framework to train future AP teachers as well as teachers of social studies and regular U.S. history. Well, why is this happening? Well, the College Board prepares and it administers standardized tests that are used in college admission and placement. Yep. And I just want to add there really quickly there, Mark, that the College Board is aligned with the Common Core State Standards. The person, architect of Common Core, David Coleman, 
uh, became president of College Board back in 2012, right after he finished his work on Common Core. They have now redone the ACT test, or excuse me, the SAT test to align with Common Core. And then he started revising the AP curriculums. And they revised the U.S. AP curriculum back in, I believe it was 2014. And um, it came out and it was so unobjective and so leftist leaning that there was huge outcry from across the country, even from all the AP teachers. So they actually walked it back a little bit, but it's still, as you're going, as we're going to point out in the show today, it still remains very much far left leaning in a way that is completely unobjective. Yes, absolutely. And after we discuss the background, James Frazier and and the book contents, uh, Liberty Classical Academy's upper high school teacher, Jonathan Valla, is going to join us, and he's going to weigh in on these excerpts as well as sharing with us the importance of objectivity in the history classroom. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm excited to have him on the show. So first to talk about this author of this new book, James W. Frazier, who wrote this book, By the People, A History of the United States. Um, he's currently a professor of history and education at New York University, so NYU's respected Steinhardt School of Education. And prior to his role at NYU, Frazier was the founding dean of Northeastern University's School of Education. And if you look at some of Frazier's academic publications, they paint a picture of the philosophy behind We the People. In the mid-1990s, Frazier and a group of American educators worked closely with Brazilian Marxist Paulo Freire, according to Stanley Kurtz, senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, Frazier's historical contributions with Freire paint a picture of both men wanting to inspire the overthrow of dominance and its replacement by a classless society. Mm. A little utopian there. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So go ahead, Mark. You know, Mm -hmm. Frazier also has high regard for for textbooks that are used under Eastern European communism. In fact, he has stated that they were excellent in substance, even if their lessons were hammered home too harshly (laughs) By teachers. So never mind oh the manner of the way we deliver this. <laughs> and don't let that uh, basically say to you that I won't accept the philosophy of government just because of the way this is delivered. Because if it was delivered in a nice way, of course, you would want uh, Eastern European communism. Right. So, oh, my goodness. Um, so basically, oh, go ahead. I'm to sorry. To nod to that at all is just horrendous to me. I just can't believe that a, a, a modern uh, educator... Right. Of the stature would want to give that kind of a nod to Eastern European communism. And this is his quote about that. He said, quote, in their critique of capitalism and imperialism, in their sophisticated approach to anti-Semitism, fascism and revolutionary struggle, Eastern European communism textbooks represented a very liberating view of the world. Oh but sadly, the methods of instruction were as repressive as the content was liberating. End of oh, quote. my goodness. <laughs> Complete opposite of of having really an objective view Absolutely. there for them to embrace that and then know that that's really the philosophy then behind the book that he wrote for this USAP history class. Yes. And we're going to see that as we release some of the excerpts from that uh, yet-to-be-released 2019 edition. Well, in a May 1st article written for the National Review, Kurtz points to Frazier's academic writings from the 1990s to give us a picture of his views on American conservatism. And he said, quote, If one characteristic marks the years of the Reagan-Bush presidencies, it is the legitimization of greed. End of quote. My end of goodness. quote. And speaking of America at the end of the 20th century, Frazier said, quote, Racism 
like greed, has also been legitimated in the America of the 1980s and 1990s. Hmm. But Frazier didn't stop there. Even under the Bill Clinton presidency, he also was dissatisfied with Republicans who took over control of the U.S. House in 1994, as he termed it an expression of, quote, angry white Hmm. maleness. That seems to be a recurrent theme from the left. I think we heard that again in the election of 2016. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And tying to that, um, he described the presidency of Barack Obama as um, that those who had long thought of the nation as white and Christian country sometimes found it difficult to adjust. So this is all, these are quotes from the book. And this book right here for Mr. Obama, this is taken from the textbook that will be released soon. Yes, We the People textbook. And, you know, again, making these assumptions about people who maybe weren't in agreement with President Obama's views and and um, all of his efforts towards, you know, moving the country in the change of direction that he wanted. You know, he right. always talked about hope and change. And, right. and he brought forth change. And those who were opposed to the type of change he was bringing were often painted yes. as these, you know, white Christians. And angry. Who, they were angry and they didn't understand um, kind of the higher level thinking that Barack Obama was bringing to this country, that we should be so pleased with. So, um, again, to have this in a textbook is completely unobjective. I mean, what an elitist attitude. Yes. You don't like what we're trying to do? Yeah. Oh, okay. Therefore, there's something wrong with you. Exactly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wrong, something wrong with you. Your thinking isn't as uh, mature and, and well-developed as ours, is exactly. basically what they're saying. Yeah. Well, then, with respect to the rise of Black Lives Matter in the aftermath of the Ferguson, Missouri shooting, which, by the way, was found to be you know, the the events of that situation did not play out the way the popular media was portraying. And that was even determined by the court. Absolutely. Hands up, don't shoot was proven to be a false narrative. It was a false narrative. And yet this is covered. The fact that it's even covered is appalling to me because it was based on a false narrative. Yes. Now, if you're going to cover it because it was such a big deal in the country, Yes, it was. But then I would think they would want to cover it objectively and point out the fact that it was found to be a false narrative. But instead, we don't see that. Um, so what we see is he's quotes saying in an aftermath in the aftermath of the shooting, Michael Brown's body was left on the street for over four hours while his parents were kept away at gunpoint. Um, do we know that's a fact? I believe what we do know is that family members were consistently crossing past the police crime tape right into the crime scene. Yes. And again, the emotional piece rather than what are just the facts. The objective facts. Um, yep. The nearly all here's another quote. The nearly all white police force was seen as an occupying army in the mostly African American town. So once again, using really extreme emotional, emotionally charged language to try to describe these events rather than using an objective brush. Um, another quote about the Ferguson uprising was, in the aftermath of Brown's shooting, the police increased the tensions, defacing memorials set up for Brown and using rubber bullets on demonstrators. Mm. Once again... Just focusing on this emotional. The police are the real criminals here. Yes, the emotionally charged arguments, and it's Mm -hmm. all the police's fault, exactly. And of course, you know, Frazier's strongest and most recent politicized attacks, like everybody else, have Mm -hmm. come against President Trump. Mm -hmm. And in discussing the 2016 election season, 
Frazier writes, quote, Trump's supporters saw the vote as a victory for people who, like themselves, had been forgotten in a fast-changing America, a mostly older, often rural or suburban, and overwhelmingly white group. Clinton's supporters feared that the election had been determined by people who were afraid of a rapidly developing ethnic diversity of the country, discomfort with their candidate's gender, and nostalgia for an earlier time in the nation's history. They also worried about the mental stability of the president-elect and the anger that he and his supporters brought to the nation. So in other words, opposition to Hillary Clinton was the product of sexism. Right. Well, and this whole that whole thing that you're talking about there, the quotes, Again, it's so one-sided. Yes, it, it doesn't. It doesn't have any room for the thought process of those who were opposed to Hillary Clinton, or those who were opposed to um, Barack Obama. It's it's all about saying that the reason why they're opposed is because they're basically outdated, outmoded, or they're racist. We're the sophisticated thinkers of the day. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the the textbook also infers racism when describing the president as supporters. Listen to this quote. Most thought that Trump was too extreme a candidate to win the nomination, but his extremism, his anti-establishment rhetoric, and some said his not very hidden racism connected with a significant number of primary voters. So again, once again, the voters for Trump are racist. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one of the things that has always surprised me, and I know this doesn't really tie in exactly to what we're saying, is that in the lead up to that election, like Trump or not, um, the big the big emphasis was what are what's going to happen if he loses and what are his supporters going to do? There's going to be mayhem in the streets. There's going to, is there, is there going to be burning, you know, cars and what have you. And then when he won, right. What happened? Just the opposite. opposite exactly. The supporters of Hillary Clinton were in the streets, burning cars right. and, and, and it's protesting. It's projection of really and, what's in their own hearts right, on right. what others are going to and, do. And, and, and yet nobody seemed to remember that that was the concern about Trump supporters. Uh, all they could talk about was how awful it was that Trump won and how all of Trump supporters are racist. Right. So. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, just a note, too, you know, Pearson Publishing, this is, of course, the uh, company that has published this textbook. When they were asked about the anti-Trump editions, they said, quote, this textbook textbook was developed by an expert author and underwent rigorous peer review to ensure academic integrity. It aims to promote debate and critical thinking by presenting multiple sides. That, that last part just kills me. Well, they, have little, boxes. they have little boxes on the book that are kind of point-counterpoint, oh, but it okay, doesn't go okay. too deep. But it's yeah. certainly not the text right. of, the, of the curriculum, yes. And peer review, you know, well, we know already that... that, uh, that that college the college level professors are very much um, in line with the leftist thinking. So even mm-hmm. a peer review is going to seem mm-hmm. unbiased to them because okay. they just don't even see the other side. And just a, uh, two more quick points right. uh, summarized, you know, in this book by the people on abortion. Frazier hints that opponents are not in favor of the right to life, but said to be opposed to abortion rights. And secondly, on immigration, Frazier downplays the concept of illegal immigrants. Only those who came to the U.S. without official approval. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, language is so important. It is, isn't it? It is <laughs> so important. And the left has done a brilliant job over the years. Redefining. Of con- redefining, using softer language to get what they want through. And it, unfortunately, it to works sanitize often. the lawlessness. Yes, yes, exactly. Well, we are excited to bring John Valla, who is an expert, expert on history teaching in at Liberty 
Classical Academy. He has taught there for seven years, and he has a degree from Northwestern of St. Paul in education, and then he has a master's in history from Trinity in Chicago. And we're so glad to have you on. You've been on our show several times, John. Yeah, a couple times. Yes, and we're glad to have you back again today. Welcome. glad to be here, yeah. Good, good. Thanks for joining us. Well, we want to talk to you because you are an excellent history teacher, and I can vouch for that since I have sat in on your classes occasionally, and I get the feedback from our staff, and I know what you're teaching, and it's fantastic. Um, But anyone who reads or listens to the excerpts from this textbook can certainly discern the implicit bias. It's revisionist history. It's always a chief concern for educators, really, who want to see objectivity in the classroom. But with this broad brush stereotypes and inflammatory labels and all of that, um, as you listen to some of these experts, what do you think? What is your initial reaction, um, especially as your work with, with from the perspective of your work as a history teacher? Yeah, you know, on one hand, I'm not surprised. Um, yeah. This is not the first time that this has been tried. Um, yeah. There's, I think, of Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States is probably another example oh. of a, a textbook that um, is along the same lines of very leftist leaning okay. um, U.S. history textbook. So it's been done before, I think, but. The part that's different this time around is that this has been adopted by the College Board yes. Yes. and that it is now uh, being pushed as a part of AP U.S. history right. um, in certain school districts. So that is very concerning to me, mm-hmm. that that kind of a textbook would be used so widely right. um, in a very, very popular um, class that's being offered throughout the United States. Right, right. Yeah. I, would, I would venture to guess that almost every high school in the U.S. offers a U.S. history yeah. AP class. Mm-hmm. And so you're right. So so what is the damage then that can happen as a result of that when you stop and think about the widespread usage of that of the College Board's U.S. history class? Well, I, re, looking through the, the expert excerpts that we just talked about, I mean, th- mm-hmm. this comes across as, I, as uh, a form of propaganda. Yeah, I mean, this is not teaching uh, history. It's not teaching students to engage in historical inquiry. This is right. really just... Uh, force feeding a, a very leftist political view. Yeah, um, it's so bizarre to me that in this textbook we're talking about events that have happened one, two years ago right. in some yes. cases, right. and we don't even have really the historical um, perspective to really weigh in. I think in a, in a textbook like this on issues like that. Right. Um, and so obviously to me, this is a very political uh, move to try to uh, indoctrinate students rather than teach them history. Right, yes. right. Which, again, ties back to when you think about this Ferguson who wrote this particular book, which, by the way, is only one of the U.S. History AP course textbooks. Mm-hmm. There are others out there, but they all have to align with this new set of standards that they've put out, which are left-leaning in and of themselves. Yes. Um, but that being said... Um, you know, he ties back to loving that Eastern communistic A European curriculum, communism, yep. you know, and most of us have judged that poorly throughout history. And to see that being resurrected as something to um, emulate is really frightening to me, um, since it is such a widespread usage of that book. Um, so how would you define teaching history, John? You talked yeah. about inquiry, which I think is an important word. Yeah. Well, I, I can tell you for, for me in my classes, um, I always start off my classes defining history. And the way that mm-hmm. I define I borrow actually a, a definition of history from a, 
19th century German historian um, who said that history is um, trying to understand the past as it actually happened. There we go. Okay. Yeah. As and that, it happened. Yeah, now, it's sadly, <laughs> that, that definition of history has actually become fairly controversial among historians, which is very sad. But yeah. that really is, at the heart of it, what we should be doing right. uh, in, our, in our history classes. We should be teaching our kids um, how to engage in historical inquiry, to understand the past um, mm-hmm. as it actually happened, to find the truth right. um, from, from the past. Um, not that that's always easy, but mm-hmm. that that should be the goal when we mm-hmm. are approaching history. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's one of the problems, and I know you're going to get to this a little bit later, but that's one of the problems of of being reliant upon textbooks because textbooks are written by an author with a particular point of view. And uh, so then we're very dependent on the level of bias that they bring to the table. And if they don't bring a lot of – if they bring un, if they bring bias, we all bring a certain amount of bias. But if right. they are going to paint the events in a certain light, then the, the reader and the student are kind of at the will of that author. Uh, that's exactly that right. That's exactly right. I, I think for most students, um, when they come into a history classroom, they, they sort of have this – um, implicit assumption that the textbook, what it's telling me is true, it's true. right? right? Exactly. That this has sort of come down from on high and I'm supposed yep. to just believe what this says. Yep. Um, and I, I personally, I, I do not approach history that way. No. If we have a textbook, I always want to tell kids, you know, don't take this um, for the truth. You need to get to the bottom of it for yourself and Absolutely. try to understand right. You know, why are historians coming to these conclusions in this book? And you need to try to understand if that's actually true. Yes, right. And, and, and like you said, in just receiving the information, you assume that it's true. You know, Joy Pullman warned in The Federalist, she talked about that psychologists did research and said that when fringe concepts are introduced, though they can discern and say, you know, this, no, I can't believe that this is true. If they're hearing it over and over and over again, they do begin to question yep. and doubt and take it as truth. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Repetition works. And another thing you mentioned too, John, you talked about how, um, when this history textbook is talking about things right up to the present, that that was a real issue. And it is because critics say it's a recipe for political abuse. Now, you pair that with the emotionally charged language and the labels that are being attached to those that are in positions of influence in the country. Uh, you really have the formula for an all-out smear c- campaign. So, I mean, with that disturbing trend on the rise in schools across America, is objective instruction still possible as more people are taking a political side? I do think it's possible, but I, I think it takes some work on the part of, of individual educators. You know, mm-hmm. as a teacher, um, I, I understand that I have some some biases, that mm-hmm. I, I have some uh, preconceived notions, but um, I need to understand that and bring that um, bring that to the table as I teach and know that, you know, when I talk about things that maybe I don't necessarily agree with, I actually want to accurately describe what yes. those things are um, and not create a straw man um, to try to exaggerate an emotional language, right. um, what that that thing is in a way that you know is going to skew what my students uh, are learning. Or that is such an excellent point, John. That straw man is exactly what's happening in a lot of these quotes. They're they are they are creating this idea of what the people are that are opposed to the views that they are subscribing to, and that pa- that painting of that picture is really just a straw man argument. For who those people are, it's really sad. It is it's very uh, undermining, sad. very undermining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, as we mentioned at the top of the show, another concern with the textbook that's been raised by critics is is the detailed curricula for the AP courses that are coming from the College Board. 
Um, and they've really created, in effect, as we've mentioned, this leftist national curriculum. Um, Frazier, he incorporates by the people in a course, like we mentioned earlier, at New York University. And the course syllabus suggests that the college board's new A-PUSH framework should be treated as a de facto national standards for all U.S. history courses, not just AP, but that really is the epitome of indoctrination. So, I mean, hearing this as a history teacher, what suggestions might be helpful for students who find themselves under this type of classroom indoctrination? What would you What would yeah. you say to them? You know, I would tell them, you know, in any class, you should uh, approach what your professor says, your teacher says, what your textbook says with a healthy amount of skepticism. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to do some work yourself to yes. try to get to the bottom of what actually happened in history. Uh, don't take for granted what somebody else tells you. You need to do some work yourself and, and go back and look at the sources themselves and try to find out, okay, what do I think about this? Um, because if you just take for granted what somebody tells you, you know, you're, you're probably going to be given a very shaded view of history one way or the other. Right. Absolutely. Um, John, tell us what you think should be included in a history course. You know, not necessarily just U.S. history, but you know, what do you think is kind of the core that should be included? Well, I mean, obviously in any history course, there, there's a healthy amount of content that needs to be taught, whatever mm-hmm. we're talking about, U.S. history, European history, whatever. But um, I think one thing that is often missing in a lot of history classes that we, um, we find today in, in public schools across the country is there isn't a lot of actual um, historical inquiry being taught. Mm-hmm. Kids are not really taught how to actually critically think through history mm-hmm. um, to actually – ask historical questions and, and do, um, do the work themselves to actually understand the past. Um, that should be a huge part of, of what it means to, um, to learn in a history classroom, to actually be taught the tools of history, to actually engage in some of the things that historians do. Right. Um, and that way you're actually teaching kids how to think, not just what to think. Right, yeah. which is so important. And again, that's an emphasis that we have at Liberty. Uh, that rhetoric level phase is to get them to be te- thinking about what they believe and why, um, and not just not just absorbing what the teacher is teaching them, but instead to be articulating and discussing about those topics. So, yeah, great point. And then finally, we are running out of time here. We're getting low. But when you think about history textbooks, you know, what do you think about that? What is the best way to teach history? Is it really through a textbook? Well, textbooks serve a purpose. They do. I mean, they're helpful in outlining um, a lot of content. But mm-hmm. I think um, when we, we think about history, the best way to really look and, and to study history is to look at primary sources, mm-hmm. to actually read the history itself. Yeah. And um, I know in my class, uh, that's exactly what we do. We, we take a look at um, the sources themselves. And, and through that, kids get a much more in-depth understanding of history. Mm-hmm. And why don't you share with us some of the techniques that you do use? Because I know that for you, it's not just giving them the facts, you know, especially because you're teaching at the high school level. Um, you're giving them content through primary documents often. But why don't you share some of the great uh, types of assignments that you give to your students or some of the discussion topics that you have given your students to give our listeners an idea of what an excellent history class looks like? Well, I can give you one example. I think one of the, the most effective um forms of instruction that I use in one of my classes uh, is actually giving students 
um, primary sources that, that contradict each other. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Students love to debate, sure. and yeah. they love to be able to go back and, and look at sources that, that are opposed and try to understand um, through the process of asking um, some very in-depth critical thinking questions, you know, who's right, who's wrong? Right. Mm-hmm. And kids love to do yeah. that. They enjoy yeah. that, but also gives them uh, a, a much more in-depth understanding of history. And they yeah. have to go back to the objective facts to be exactly. able to make the determination who's mm-hmm. right and who's wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So we just have less than a minute left here. Do you have any last comments that you'd like to make? Uh, one other assignment that you've given or something that you'd like to share with our listeners about history? Well, I would just say, you know, I, I think um, history is is an incredible um tool to help students actually understand and and become um, much better thinkers if we allow them to uh, actually engage in in history in the way that it should be done um, kids can actually uh, become uh, much more uh, critically much better critical thinkers um, if we actually allow them the ability to do that and not actually uh, force feed them with the textbook. Love it. Great yes. parting words. Thank you so much, thank John you, Vala. We so appreciate having you here today. And we thank you, our listeners, and hope that you will join us again next week on Education Nation at tw- AM 1280, The Patriot.